everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Oh Shoot. Um, I'm recording this decently early in the morning, so quite literally, <laughs> you guys are the first people that I have talked to, so I definitely feel like my voice sounds like that. So you're getting a different side of me this morning. Hello. I'm glad that you guys are here listening. Um, if you're new, welcome. I'm so glad that you're listening. Um, this podcast is very photography focused, as I'm sure you've noticed from the title of the episode and honestly from like just the name of the podcast. It's literally called Oh Shoot. Um, but sometimes, occasionally, I'll talk about some other things. I do try to usually bring it back to photography in some way, shape or form, just because that's why you guys are here, right? Um, but yeah, we're just, we're just chilling today. Um, I actually don't have any episode notes today. Um, like I don't have any outline for where I'm going to take this episode. I have an idea of the topic that I want to talk about, but, um, yeah. So if this episode absolutely sucks, then that is why (laughs) I also have my matcha here with me. So um, and I'm wearing my overshooter cute pink um, merch. So if you're watching on YouTube, um, you will see that. But anywho, uh, today uh, we are talking about shooting in low light. And I definitely have things I want to say about this. But like always, I am going to kind of lead into it. And we're going to talk about some other things before we start talking about shooting in low light. So the first thing is, did y'all see... Is it Courtney? Yeah, Courtney Kardashian's wedding. Okay. If you guys did, did you see her wedding photos? Okay. So if you're listening to this and you have no idea what I'm talking about, hop on over to Instagram real quick, go to Courtney Kardashian's page and look at her wedding photos. Okay. And then come back to this episode. So basically, Courtney Kardashian got married and um, she posted her wedding photos and they're not like they're not the standard typical celebrity wedding photos you know like even like us as like photographers who maybe just capture normal people and don't capture celebrities we might have a little bit of a different style than what a celebrity photographer might but her photos are definitely even like past what a celebrity would normally has have as a photographer meaning um the photos are crooked some of them Um, Some of them are very, not like blurry, but kind of like smudgy. Um, And yeah, even like the first kiss and them like walking down the aisle, like all of that is kind of crooked and um, they're all in focus though, which is good. Um, So this has caused a little bit of, I don't know if I want to say like disagreement in the photography community or if it's just... I don't know. People are just talking about it, but regardless, um, I just wanted to talk about it for a minute. Um, I don't really think it's like a huge deal. Um, my personal opinion is like photography is art. So if you want to shoot like that, that's great. Like I, I think what I'm starting to realize more as I'm kind of growing in photography and like it's growing with me as I grow in life, I'm learning that photography is so expressive. And if, if it's not expressive, then that that's hard. That's a hard place to be in. Um, because like photography is art. And I think, um, when you first get into photography, you love it because of the fact that it's a way to express yourself and it's an art form. So if your photography is not changing and evolving with you as a person, as you change, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a bad sign, but regardless, um, the fact that photography is an art form makes me feel like these photos are just like, it's, you know, maybe that's what Courtney wanted. And if it is great, like I personally, like when I first saw the photos, I was like, wow, these are cool. (laughs) And I, after seeing like other photographers talk about it, I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have reacted that way. But like, truly I was like, these are cool. They're smudgy, which is like different. Um, they are a little crooked, but I was like, I don't know, like maybe that's the vibe. Um, I also feel like they, they captured some sort of like emotion to like the, the photos themselves. I don't know. It's just like, I just thought that they were really cool and unique. And so, you know, honestly, 
I, I, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Um, so I do know that the photographer who took the photos is like a really, really well-known photographer, like, like literally amazing. So I don't at all think that like this person doesn't know what they're doing because they most definitely do. Um, do I have a little bit of bias and do I kind of feel like photos should be straight? Yes, I do. You know, like I'm one of those people that's like, I always straighten every photo. Um, because I do think it's a little distracting if the photo isn't straightened, but I do think it's like a creative style. Um, and there are people who can do crooked photos really, really well. I don't think I do crooked photos well, but I know other people who do. So that's just kind of my two cents on that topic. I don't feel like a topic like this should cause like any, <laughs> I don't know, like, you know, like things like this happen and then like it causes there to be like one side or the other. And it's like these two sides are battling about this photographer's work. It's literally like, this is someone's work. Like, come on, like, let's just, let's not argue about it. Like, let's just look at it as art. Cause that's what it is. And, you know, try to interpret it. Um, I, I think it, it, the photos are really cool. Go check them out, create an opinion for yourself. But for the most part, I feel like, yeah, just, you just can't argue about things that like literally we're all outsiders in this situation. The only people that are insiders are literally Courtney and the photographer because they probably had communication about like the type of photo she wanted or like she had an assistant communicate that or whatever. So that's what I'm going to say about that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic. So today we're going to be talking about low light and shooting in low light and all these different things. Um, before we get into that, I did just want to say that I have, um, this is like, I kind of just go through like these announcements in my head before I start rolling. And then I feel like I should have talked about this before getting into the uh, Kardashian thing, but whatever. Um, my back to the basics course is going to be available on June 6th, either June 6th or June 7th, whichever one is a Monday. Um, so if you don't know, I had enrollment for my back to the basics course. It was open in March. Well, end of February, beginning of March. And then I closed the course. So the people that enrolled still had access, but no one else could enroll. So I'm reopening it now just for the people that, you know, finally had money to save up for it or, um, you know, people who are new to my page and new to my brand and want to be a part of it. I've had a lot of people ask for me to reopen it. So that's what I'm going to be doing. So, um, if you're not on my email list, you'll get emails about it. Um, if you want to be a part of my email list, literally go to my education website and download any free guide and you'll be a part of my email list. So that is that. Now, finally, <laughs> we are going to talk about shooting in low light. Um, I almost kind of want to make a series about shooting in like all of the different lighting scenarios and maybe I will do it. Um, but recently I've been kind of switching back and forth between a solo episode and um, a guest interview episode. And I've been trying to do kind of like an on and off type of thing. So if I did a series, it probably would have to be when I run out of guest episodes to post, but maybe, maybe I'll continue the series. We'll see how it goes. So today we're talking about shooting in low light. And, um, if you don't know what that means, that basically is just when you shoot and there is not enough light available, um, when you're shooting. So the, the lighting is low, therefore it's like usually harder to shoot in, you know, it's not perfect lighting. It's you're usually inside and it's nighttime, whatever. So when you shoot in low light, um, there's, there's a few things that I want to talk about. First, I want to just talk about, um, camera settings and I think it's important to start here because when we talk about all of these other things like lighting and ambient light and flashes and, um, whatever, um, it really comes down to like understanding your settings and understanding like, okay, how can I, how can I get my settings to work for this lighting scenario? So, um, when you are setting your camera settings for low light, um, this might be different for different people. So keep that in mind, but my process of setting my camera settings, um, starts with typically, 
this is typical, but typically I start with my ISO and I've gotten comments before where people are like, why do you do that? Because you might have to go change it after. Yeah, you might. And this is just how my brain works. So I start with my ISO and basically I look at my lighting scenario. I look at what's in front of me and I say, okay, how much light is there? Like it is my subject being lit well. And, um, just, just a few like kind of like base examples that go through my head. My subject is being lit really, really well. Let's say we're outdoors in direct sun. My ISO typically is the lowest it can be, right? Because the lower your ISO, the less light it lets in. And when you're outside, you're going to have troubles with it being too bright. So you want to have your ISO as low as it can be. So direct sun outside, usually my ISOs are around a hundred. Think about the opposite of that. If I'm indoors with literally hardly any light, so low light, my ISO definitely needs to be higher. I might even argue that you put your ISO as high as you're comfortable putting it. Um, so my recommendation is when you are, before you even start shooting in low light, go and take your camera, go in like a decently dark room or maybe wait until it's like just nighttime um, and take photos with um, your camera settings basically maxed out with like as letting as much light in as they can. So, you know, your aperture at 1.4, your shutter speed at one over 250. So that's like the lowest that I feel comfortable going. Then take your ISO and start at like 640 and just keep raising it. So take photos at 640, 800, 1000, 1250, go all the way up to, you know, 6,000, 10,000, just so you can see how the grain looks. I think this is a really important part of shooting in low light is understanding how comfortable you are going high with your ISO and what that max number is for you. Um, because it's different for everyone. Some people feel a little bit more comfortable with um, a little bit of a higher ISO. They feel like maybe the noise in that matches their vibe or they feel like they can edit it out, whatever. Um, so as you raise your ISO, you get more visible noise in the image, which is literally like little specks. It almost looks like grain, but it kind of, it's not quite grain because it's like, there's like color in, in it as well. Um, and the higher your ISO goes, um, the more grain or noise gets added to your image and it's harder to deliver a high quality image as you raise your ISO up and up and up. So, um, know what your limit is for ISO that that's a huge, huge part of shooting in low light for me on my Sony. Um, I comfortably go as high as I would say 4,000. Um, and I, when I edit the photos that I take at ISO 4,000, I do have a little bit of noise. Um, there's a certain point, like for me, it's usually past like 800 ISO where I know I'm going to have noise in my image. Like when I'm shooting in low light, it's never a matter of like, I want no noise in my image. It's a matter of like, how much noise am I comfortable delivering, delivering to my clients? So for me, it's around, what did I say? three, 4,000. Um, that is like the absolute worst case scenario. If I'm doing that, um, it is very rare that I'm shooting with my ISO that high. So, um, know your limits for ISO. It's different for every camera, Canon cameras specifically. When I was shooting Canon DSLR, I wasn't comfortable going any higher than a thousand because anything past that, I felt like I couldn't get back, um, my, I feel, feel like my image wasn't where I wanted it to be. So that's the first thing with settings, know your ISO and set it at just like a ballpark of what you think it's going to need to be at. So if I'm inside, I'll start, you know, maybe around ISO a thousand. Okay. Then we're going to move on to aperture and apertures. Uh, this is a pretty obvious, like straight up answer, but with aperture, the, the lower the aperture number, so F1.4 or F1.2 or 1.8, um, that, that low number is going to let in more light, okay, than F4.0 or F15 or 16. That's going to let in very, very minimal 
light because aperture is literally the opening in your camera. It's like literally how open the lens is. I, it's something like that where it's like it's a, the literal opening. So the wider it is, um, the more light that's going to get let in and um, the more depth that you're going to see in your image. So I like to just have my aperture at like 1.4 when I know that the lighting is going to be horrible. Um, and then, you know, you kind of adjust it as you need to, but I find that shooting at 1.4 indoors and in low light is not really the end of the world. Like if, if I do have two subjects, like typically the focus isn't too bad because, you know, as you lower your aperture, the, um, the more depth that's going to be in your photo. Um, therefore you might have like someone's nose in focus, but not their eyes or, you know, weird, weird things like that. So, um, when, when you do have your aperture lower, that's something to keep an eye on. I don't mind it because on my camera, I have eye tracking. So my camera does track people's eyes. So it, it will lock focus on an eye, but you might get like some other elements on that person that are a little out of focus. But I find that I'd rather have a lower aperture than an ISO that's so high that I can't get any of the detail back. And it's like the noise is just way too bad in the image. That is ISO aperture. Now, the last setting obviously is shutter speed. And um, this is dependent on whether or not you're using a flash. We're going to talk like we're not using a flash, okay? So if we're not using a flash and we're just depending on the light in the room, um, my shutter speed, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not comfortable going any higher than like 1 over 240 or lower. I'm sorry, lower than 1 over 250, not 240. That's literally not even a shutter speed number. That's just kind of a personal preference. And I think it's one of those things where you kind of have to go and shoot it yourself. Um, the same thing with the um, ISO. Like you have to go and use certain shutter speeds on moving subjects to see how comfortable you are with what ISOs be... Or, <laughs> Not ISOs, shutter speeds. Guys, what is going on in my brain right now? <laughs> With different shutter speeds. Um, some shutter speeds, um, they just, they lead to blurriness. And sometimes that's the vibe, right? We're seeing an increase in these like blurry, like motion type of photos where people shoot with their shutter speed at like one over 40 or one over 30. And, you know, you get kind of like this fun, like drag and your subjects aren't in focus, but that's kind of the point. So that's definitely a fun vibe. But when you're shooting something like a wedding, um, that's usually like, okay, for like two photos, but like the rest of the wedding needs to be at least a little bit clear. Right. So like I said, mine is one over 250. If I'm doing something like a sparkler exit where they are quite literally running at me, I am going to raise that up to like one over 320 or one over 400 even. Um, if I'm shooting something like a first dance or, you know, something that's a lot more still because a first dance, like you're literally just barely moving, um, then I would feel comfortable with like one over 250 for my shutter speed. Um, and I do want you guys to know in my first couple years of doing photography, I was shooting at a college. And if you don't know this story, go back and listen to episode one, because that kind of details how I got into photography. But, um, I would shoot a lot of indoor events. So they would have these camp events, um, inside kind of like a concert type of auditorium. Um, and the lighting was trash and basically the lighting was absolute trash because you know, it's, that's just how it is. Like they don't like to bring up the house lights for situations like that. They, you know, it, that it just is what it is. Like the, the lighting was trash. So I got really comfortable with knowing my shutter speed and knowing, okay, if this person's jumping on a trampoline in this space, I don't want my shutter. Like I need my shutter speed at this. Or, um, if th this certain thing is happening, I want my shutter speed 
at this instead. Um, so I got very comfortable with shooting with very, very, very minimal light. We weren't using flashes um, and knowing what my shutter speed needs to be at. And the reason I'm saying this is because of the fact that you're going to need to just experience shooting in like drastic low light to understand what settings you're comfortable with. Like at the end of the day, you just have to like, you have to do it. Like I know people hate when people are like, oh, just do it. Like that's how you understand it. But really like we can talk about this as much as we want. It's going to be the practice that's really going to help you understand this. So that's my camera settings. Um, when it comes to shooting in low light, typically, I'm saying typically, um, the lighting is going to be a little bit on the warmer side. Therefore, your photos might end up being a little bit too warm. So if that's the case, then you want to make sure you're keeping your eye on your white balance. Um, not, I'm not going to say that um, you need any specific white balance because it totally depends on the lighting and the situation that you're in. But keep an eye on your white balance because if you're shooting in something like auto, it might bounce around from giving you really warm raws to like really cool raws. And at the end of the day, when you go to edit those, that's going to be really, really hard to like fix the white balance on every single photo. That's the one flaw to auto white balance. And obviously that's like the flaw really to any like auto camera settings is just the fact that like there's always change happening in the settings versus like if you shoot a manual, like really you're the one that makes the change and you make the changes you need. But in auto, it kind of just like randomly changes and sometimes it's a little bit sporadic. So editing through that, especially with white balance is really, really hard. Um, so keep an eye on your white balance when you're shooting in low light. Okay. So now let's talk about lighting, right? Um, so when you shoot in low light, there's going to be ambient light in the room. Um, and ambient light basically just means like light that's already there. So it's not artificial light that you're adding back into the photo by using a flash. It's literally like the lamps and, um, you know, the, the different lights that are in the room. Um, sometimes it is like a, a window. Maybe there is a window, but it's like past sunset and the, the, uh, sun is going down. Um, that would also be a form of ambient light. So look at the light in the room and think about how you want your subject to be lit because there's all different types of ambient light and most ambient light comes right from above and it like casts these, these shadows on your subject's faces where it leaves like, um, these like shadows underneath the eyes and right underneath the nose and all under the chin onto the neck because it's, you know, uh, overhead light. It's literally a light that's coming straight down. Um, so that type of lighting, in my opinion, is the type of lighting where I would probably instantly break out my flash because that is really hard to edit out. I would almost say, almost impossible to edit out unless you feel like photoshopping like every single photo for like five minutes. With film photography being so popular nowadays, I'm very excited to introduce you to our sponsor, PhotoVision. PhotoVision is a third generation film lab who scans your rolls of film for you. They produce consistent and quality scans and they even offer custom color correction for your scans. If you know me, I've been getting into film photography lately and I just sent off two rolls of film to PhotoVision. They're so easy to work with and you can literally tell that they know what they're doing when it comes to film. They even offer film education on their website. So it helps newbies like me better understand what the heck they're doing. PhotoVision is family owned, which we love, and their customer service is amazing. They want everyone they work with to feel valued and supported, which honestly, that's how I felt when I've worked with them. PhotoVision is your film processing experts since 1968, and they have an exclusive offer for Oshoot listeners. Get one free roll of signature process and scans using the code Oshoot at checkout. That's Oshoot with no spaces at checkout, which will also be linked in the description. Go check it out that's, that's kind of like the lighting that we don't want. It's like the overhead light. There are some types of lighting that 
are overhead, but still provide like a really pretty look on your subject. So for example, like string lights, those are really, really pretty. And I think like most of the time they don't cast too bad of shadows on your subjects. Um, other ambient light elements, and this sounds very strange, but I'm just going to like talk through some of these things. If there's like a bathroom, let's say where you're shooting, and then there's a hallway that goes to the bathroom. If those bathrooms have like, oh, you know how some bathrooms like don't have doors, like they, you, they, you just kind of round a few corners and then you're in the bathroom. Um, sometimes in those scenarios, there's, you can get light from those types of areas or just any area where it's a separate room maybe. And like the lights are on in that room. So, um, th- that's a type of light that can come on your subject. Um, there are lamps obviously, and lamps are really never, in my opinion, never really the vibe. Um, even when I'm shooting indoors, like let's say for getting ready photos, which typically is like in the middle of the day, I usually have them turn all the lamps off and all the lights off because when you have window light, let's say, which is typically a very cold type of lighting, unless you have the direct sun coming in, but most of the time window light is a little bit cooler. Um, and then you have something like a lamp on in the corner, but that lamp is literally like the warmest lamp light ever. Like that's going to create cool on your subject. And then a little bit of warm in some areas, which is a really hard to edit out as well. And it's going to take like, you kind of have to be like a really, really good Lightroom editor to understand how to get those things to balance each other out. So you want to keep like an eye on the different temperatures of the lights around you too. Um, there's for weddings specifically, there's like those, um, neon signs and typically couples will put those neon signs behind themselves at the head table. And that kind of serves as like a backlight, right? Which back backlight is nice sometimes, but I find with those neon signs, backlight is really just like hard to edit and it's hard to shoot. So most of the time in that situation, I find myself, um, using a flash because the backlight is just overpowering and it makes my subjects just look hazy. Um, that's actually one of my favorite looks from a reception is bouncing like a really soft flash onto my subjects when they're sitting at the head table with the neon sign behind them. (laughs) I know that's like literally the most specific example I've ever, ever, ever given, but I honestly like wholeheartedly like mean that, like, I don't know what it is. I think it just like looks so nice anyway. Um, so I hope that kind of helped you understand ambient light. Um, you know, it's, it's the light that's already present and it's work working with the light that's already present. Um, you might find yourself shooting in tons of different situations with tons of different ambient light. So your job as the photographer is to figure out one, what lights should stay on and what light should go off. Um, two, if you need a flash or if you feel like you can work with the ambient light that's present. An example of ambient light actually would be a sparkler exit. Um, most of the time I, or I would say like literally almost all of the time, I don't shoot with a flash at a sparkler exit. And my reason for this is because I, when you use a flash, you completely eliminate the sparkle from the sparklers. Like this, the sparklers, you can hardly even see them when you're using a flash during a sparkler exit. Like you don't get that fun, like fairy tale sparkle glow from the sparklers. You get just like the stick. And then you see just a little bit of a spark when you use a flash. So, um, and that's me speaking about direct flash. There are different setups that you can use for, sparkler exits like you can do off camera flashes and whatnot but personally I don't ever have time for that so I just you know work with what I have so ambient light this example of using sparklers and doing a sparkler exit it's a perfect example because you are just using the light sources that you have around you and in this case in a sparkler exit you are creating ambient light by lighting sparklers um so I don't know if any of you saw my 
oh gosh, it's probably not recent at this point. It's just like my latest uh, reel about sparkler exits. I basically gave a few tips. And one of those tips is during a sparkler exit, let those like sparklers haze up a lot. And like most couples hopefully are using those longer sparklers. They're not just using the little baby ones that you get on 4th of July. They're using like the, the longer ones that last a longer time. So in that case, you want to let those sparklers go for a little bit. So then when the couple runs through all of that ambient light has built up and then you have haze from the sparklers as well, which is kind of serving as like a diffuser almost of this light. Um, so it, it actually surprisingly sparkler exits are not like the lowest of low light situations because of the fact that if you let them haze up for long enough, the lighting actually is not horrible. Like I'm not going to say the lighting's great by any means, but I've definitely had worse experiences with lighting. It just indoors somewhere versus at a sparkler exit. So that's an example of just using ambient light. Um, and since we're on the topic of sparkler exits too, something else that is helpful is having the line of people stand close enough apart to where the lighting is still going to be good for you, but not so close that like you're going to catch on fire, you know? So knowing the difference between, okay, they're standing close. This is good. Or like, oh, they're all standing way too close to me. And I feel like my life is in danger. There, there are two different things, but I have shot sparkler exits where the guests were too far apart. Like the tunnel itself was too far. And so the lighting was really, really hard for me. So I kind of went off on a tangent on sparkler exits there for a minute. Um, so we've covered ambient light. We talked about camera settings. Now I want to talk about using your flash because flash is one of the best things for bad lighting, right? And I think we all kind of understand that flash is a great solution to shooting indoors sometimes. When I am put in a scenario where the lighting is low and, you know, let's say I just walk into a room at a wedding, I'm evaluating, okay, what type of light is going on here? The first thing that I look at, I look at the ambient light. I take a, a few test shots at um, different settings and I mess around with going as low with my shutter and as high with my ISO as I'm comfortable. And then I see, okay, if I shoot at ISO 2000 and my shutter at one over 250, um, what does the photo look like? What does the lighting look like? Um, if I feel like I can do it and I can edit it to look okay, then I will continue shooting that way and I won't use my flash. My flash most of the time is a last resort. Um, and I do think that in some cases, my flash would just help things to look better. So it kind of just depends on if I'm on a time crunch and like if I need to just start shooting right away, I'll just like, okay, I'm working with the ambient light. That's that. Um, or if I have a little bit of time to mess around with bouncing the flash and to see the different um, how I can get the flash to look okay, um, then I might mess around with the flash. So start by looking at the ambient light in the room. Take some test shots. Once you evaluate your test shots, then you're going to make the decision, okay, I'm going to work with ambient light or I'm going to use flash. Um, sometimes what I'll do is if I want both, I'll put my flash on my camera. I'll leave it off, but have all the settings on my flash how I want it to be. And then, you know, I get my ambient light camera settings and then I get my flash camera settings. So I take two different test shots, the test shot with bouncing my flash and I'll get my settings how I want them. And then I'll kind of take just like a mental picture of what those settings are. And then um, I'll go and take some ambient light shots and I'll mentally think about, okay, this is what I need my ambient light settings to be at. So let's say with ambient light, I'm shooting at um, ISO 2000, F 1.4 and one over 250 for my shutter. And then if I were to turn my flash on, what settings do I need to change? That's just something that I need to figure out in my head. My shutter speed probably needs to go to one over six, 160 because that's um, just the shutter speed that works with my flash because the flash fires at a certain speed. Um, and then, you know, maybe I want to raise up my aperture a little bit because I don't, 
I don't need my aperture at 1.4 anymore. And then I'll go ahead and lower my ISO because I'm adding light back in. Therefore, I don't usually need my ISO all the way at 2000 when I'm using a flash. Do you wish that you could spend less time editing? Yes, I do too. And if you said no, you're lying. To make your editing life easier, let's talk about our podcast sponsor today, Filter Pixel. Filter Pixel is an AI culling application that helps you organize your photos post shoot. It's literally so fast and it'll automatically select your best photos based on focus and eye quality. I've been using Filter Pixel and not only does it load my RAWs so fast, it also sorts my photos within minutes. Yes, minutes. Filter Pixel sorts my photos into different categories so I can know which photos have issues and which don't. And it even creates tags based on the pose and the type of photo. So it will do a tag like perfect focus, dancing, and even hugs. Once you start using Filter Pixel, you're going to have so many less culling hours that you're going to have more happy hours. Go to filterpixel.com and use the code OSHOOT for 10% off. That's filterpixel.com for 10% off. It'll also be linked in the description. Um, mentally, I'll just make notes of those two different camera settings. And, you know, you can alternate between a few ambient light shots and then I can turn my flash on and start using flash. Um, I did this at a wedding that I recently shot um, and it turned out okay because I, I wanted like there were these cute like string lights and um, it was very just like romantic and very pretty. It kind of looked like a movie um, with the string lights, but then I wanted some like shots with good lighting too, because like the string lights weren't amazing for lighting. So I went and had my flash on and I did, um, you know, the direct, not the direct flash. I did like the bouncing of the flash for a few. And then I did ambient light for a few. Um, cause that's just kind of the vibe that I wanted. So if you do find yourself needing to use a flash, um, I want to talk just briefly at the end of this episode about using a flash and just kind of like how you can determine like, okay, this is how I want to use it, whatever. So the first thing when you decide, okay, I want to use a flash, you need to think about what do I want the flash photos to look like? Cause there's a few different options, right? One, you can bounce the flash and get like a really nice natural glow in the photos. Okay. One option. Option two is direct flash. Um, that that's the flash pointed directly forward. That's, you know, definitely more of a party vibe. The third option is like shutter drag. Do you want more of like an artsy, um, light leak flash type of photo? Um, and I don't really find myself needing any other options besides that. Um, there are other flash options, but for me, it's just like those three really are the main ones. So, um, once we get to that point where I'm like, okay, here are my three options. I typically find myself leaning towards bouncing the flash and that's for most weddings because with weddings, you want more of a timeless look, right? You don't want super trendy, like you don't want shutter drag photos for your first dance, right? Like you just don't like, that's more of like a reception type of vibe. So most of the time for a wedding, I find myself um, defaulting to bouncing the flash. And honestly, if I have any other types of shoots inside, I find myself using that as well because it creates like a nice natural bounce and it almost looks like you aren't using a flash. Like that's why I like it because it looks like you're not using a flash. Like there's no shadow behind them. It's just like very nice. So if that's the case, you're going to get your flash out and you're going to look at your surroundings. Look to see if you have any white walls near you or white ceilings near you. Um, most of the time there's a white ceiling where I'm shooting. So I find if I just bounce my flash up at the ceiling, it'll bounce back down on my subject and it'll create beautiful lighting. Simple as that. If you don't have any white surfaces near you, that's when you have to get creative with using the white card on your flash. Um, yeah, that's, that's really your option is getting creative with the white card. You can also get like a built-in diffuser on top of your flash. So then it kind of acts as though it's bouncing, but you can kind of point it a little bit more forward. You're not going to get such a harsh, um, look on your photos. So, um, that would be bouncing your flash. Then you could do a direct flash and this could be a fun, um, film type of vibe. Um, I like to do direct flash when I do dancing photos and that's really it. Um, sometimes I'll get creative during portraits and do a few direct flash photos, but for the most part, it's just like 
during the reception that I'm doing direct flash. So um, usually I'll have Charlie doing direct flash and I'll have me doing shutter drag. Um, when you venture into shutter drag, you need ambient light to do shutter drag. If you don't have any external light sources for shutter drag, it doesn't work, um, which is just such a funny concept. But basically, um, the best the best thing for shutter drag is um, string lights. For some reason, the way that the string lights, like there's just so many string lights and you get like this really fun, like light leak. Um, so string lights are really fun for shutter drag. Um, you can also use like DJ lights if the DJ has lights or um, a lamp in the room. I posted um, this photo that Charlie took of me in our living room and we were messing around with different types of flash. And um, we got a cool light leak from our living room lamp. So um, that's something else that is, uh, you know, just a, a fun thing when it comes to shutter drag. When you're doing shutter drag, you want to make sure that your shutter speed is low, obviously. Um, so I, I'm not going to sit here and explain shutter drag. If you want to look up what shutter drag is exactly, that would be great to do. You know what? Maybe I will explain shutter drag because I do feel like shutter drag is kind of an important thing to know. So yes, I will explain it. I do have like a full episode on using your flash, which is, this was a while ago. So if you want to go look at that, I, I did a podcast episode on that. Um, but basically shutter drag is when your flash goes off, but your shutter is still open. So when your flash goes off, it captures your subject perfectly, but then your shutter stays open. So it is also capturing light leaks happening around you. So what you'll do is you you set your shutter um, really low, like one over 30 or something. And then you have to put your aperture a little bit higher because you have to compensate for the fact that you're letting in a lot of light. So like F5 or something, and then you just have your ISO low, like 100. Basically, the flash goes off, it captures your subject, and then the shutter stays open, so you drag your camera a little bit, and then it'll capture those light leaks for the brief couple of, you know, just fraction of a second that it was open longer than normal. So that is shutter drag. Um, I, I want to say that in every single low light scenario, there's always going to be lighting that's better than other lighting. So if you're in a random room and you're taking photos, I don't even know what, I don't know, for cocktail hour, let's say, there's still going to be lighting that is more ideal than other lighting. You know, whether it's um, this area is a little bit better lit than this area over here, or this area has um, a window and this area doesn't, or um, this area has really, really bad overhead light, and this area doesn't have overhead light, so this is more ideal. Um, there's always going to be a better option indoors, so find that option. Find the lighting that is ideal, and if possible, shoot only there, or bring your subjects over there if you need to, or you know, utilize the areas that have decent lighting because you're never going to get great lighting inside. You know, window light is the best light inside, but, um, when it's low light, find the best lighting in the situation that you're in and put your subjects there. Like I said earlier, um, experimenting and just being in the space where it's a low light and being able to see like, okay, the lighting's better here or like over here, it sucks. Um, that, that's how you're going to really know where to shoot in this low light scenario. Um, yeah. And I think with low light too, I think comes a really cool opportunity. I'm going to say to, I don't know, just get creative with it. I think when we shoot outdoors in perfect golden hour, um, there's yes, you can take amazing creative photos, but I think your creativity is pushed and stretched when you are forced to shoot in lighting that you're not comfortable in or lighting that is not ideal. 
that is when your creativity is pushed to the limits. And it's a true test of like, can you handle it? Like, can you handle not having full control over the lighting at all times? Um, my favorite photos from shooting a wedding, most of the time are at the reception and it's not when the lighting is immaculate. Um, you know, obviously you can have your flash, which can help, but I think when you are capturing like just like authentic moments and like candids happening in low light, that is like ideal. You know, you can take perfect golden hour photos and they're going to be great. But at the same time, anything that gets captured in low light, I just feel like it, it pushes you and it stretches your boundaries. And that's a good place to be in as an artist, because if we just stay where we're comfortable all the time, like that, that's where it starts to get scary. And that's a place that you don't want to be in. You don't want to be comfortable in your art form ever because comfortability equals lack of growth. Um, comfortability equals, um, yeah, like, uh, st- being stagnant and stale literally in your art form. That's why I feel like sometimes when like, uh, just phot- photographers who are stuck in their ways in styles that were popular many, many years ago. Um, I feel like you're not allowing growth to kind of come in and shape your art form. I do understand there are preferences and I'm not going to sit here and say that art isn't just one big preference because it is, but I think just allowing yourself growth and opportunity to grow is really, really healthy. And shooting in low light is a perfect example of that because it's not really ideal for anyone, but I have found myself loving low light photos that I've taken in the past. And it's because I really never take the time and stretch myself to go and shoot in low light. So if you've made it this far in the episode, I want to encourage you, whether you're a photographer or not, to do something that stretches your comfort zone, something that's outside of the area that you're comfortable with, because that's when you're going to see growth. That's when you're going to improve your skills and um, just, yeah, all around grow in whatever area it is. If you're a photographer and you're listening, because I don't really know if non-photographers would be listening to this episode about shooting in low light, but if you are a non-photographer, I'm so I'm glad you're still here, but I, I'm going to talk to photographers just specifically for a minute. If you're a photographer, I want you to go this week, um, not next week, this week, because I don't want you to procrastinate this. Go this week, um, pick a night when you're free. Okay. Or if you're not free at nights, pick a morning when you're free. Um, and I want it to be early when the sun is not up yet. So if it's morning that you're choosing, the sun can't be up yet. If it's night that you're choosing, the sun can't be down. The sun has to be down. Basically, I want you to go into a room where you live um, and practice taking photos in that room. Um, So let's say for all of us, it's going to be the room you sleep in, okay? Because most of the time, lighting isn't great in the room that you sleep in. Maybe it is, but At night, usually the lighting is not great. So in the room you sleep in with the current lighting you have, I want you to practice taking photos in there. If you have a person to take photos of, great. If you don't have a person to take photos of, that's okay. Take photos of a vase or take photos of a stuffed animal or your dog and just practice looking at the different lighting, seeing, okay, if I position my subject this way, the lighting's better. If I move it this way. The lighting isn't as good. Take notes of why the lighting looks good or it doesn't look good. And then do that ISO test. Like I was talking about, start with your ISO at 800 and then start raising it up and up and up until, um, your photo is bright enough and then bring it into Lightroom and see, okay, what ISO am I actually comfortable editing? Like what is my limit? Do the same with shutter speed and, you know, bring it down and see like, okay, how comfortable am I with how low I can go with my shutter speed. Um, and then maybe even with your aperture, bring it all the way down, start to raise it up and just notice the difference between that. That's going to be your homework. And I don't normally give homework on podcast episodes, but 
I'm doing it this week. Um, that's your homework for this week because I really think that shooting in low light stretches you outside of your comfort zone. So that is the episode for today. I hope you guys liked learning about how to shoot in low light. And I hope some of these tips are helpful for you. Like I said, you just have to go and do it at the end of the day. That's going to be the best way for you to learn. But you can take some of these tips that I've shared and apply them to your next time that you shoot in low light. So thank you guys so, 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 so much for listening to today's episode. Um, I really appreciate you guys being here. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. You can do that on Spotify and Apple podcasts. And I would love for you guys to go and follow me on Instagram. It is at Cassidy Lynn on Instagram. I also have TikTok. That's at Cassidy Lynn photo. And don't forget to check out our sponsor for this week, which is PhotoVision. You can get um, a free roll of their signature process and scan service using the code OSHOOT. So go check them out. I'll, all of my sponsors and stuff will always be linked in the description of the episodes that they're sponsoring. So yeah, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and that is it. Expose my mind to clarity Oh, my spirit shudders Capture the moment, oh, keep my sanity No wisdom rushing in so much clear